a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told this parable to his disciples. A man was going on a journey. He called in his servants and handed his funds over to them according to each man's abilities. To one he dispersed five talents, to a second two, and to a third one. Then he went away. Immediately the man who received the five talents went to invest it and made another five. In the same way, the man who received the two talents doubled his figure. The man who received the one talent went off instead and dug a hole in the ground where he buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those servants came home and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. My Lord, he said, you let me have five talents. See, I have made another five. His master said to him, well done. You are an industrious and reliable servant. Since you were dependable in a small matter, I will put you in charge of larger affairs. Come, share your master's joy. The man who had received the two talents then stepped forward. My Lord, he said, you entrusted me with two talents, and I have made two more. His master said to him, cleverly done. You too are an industrious and reliable servant. Since you were dependable in a small matter, I will put you in charge of larger affairs. Come, share your master's joy. Finally, the man who had received the one talent stepped forward. My Lord, he said, I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you did not sow and gather where you did not scatter. So, out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here is your money back. His master exclaimed, you worthless, lazy lout. You knew I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. All the more reason to deposit my money with the bankers so that on my return I could have had it back with interest. You there, take the talent away from him and give it to the man with the ten. Those who have will get more until they grow rich, while those who have not will lose even the little they have. Throw this worthless servant into the darkness outside where he can wail and grind his teeth. The good news? Really? <laughs> Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> What's he going to do with that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Next Sunday will be the last one of this liturgical year, the final one of our Cycle A readings, which have been primarily from Matthew. Then uh, we will begin a new liturgical year on the following Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, when Mark's gospel will be prominent. Now, I tell you all that because I'm kind of looking forward to saying goodbye to Matthew. <laughs> now, I don't overall dislike the Gospel of Matthew. It's just that it often seems ex excessively legalistic and judgment-oriented. I feel that way especially because of his disturbing stories in chapter 25. Specifically, I mean the story of the ten bridesmaids, which Tom spoke about last Sunday, and today's parable about the talents. These stories make up part of what is called Jesus' eschatological discourse, meaning his thoughts, really Matthew's thoughts, about the end times, and who is included in the kingdom, and who is excluded from it. I pair that up with Paul's warning today about the day of God coming like a thief in the night. And I really want to move on to a new cycle of readings. Eschatology aside, I could hardly have asked for a more difficult parable to preach on today. The passage is described by one scholar as among the most abused texts in the New Testament. On the surface, it appears that the story is a justification for promoting a gospel of economic prosperity. You know, the Lord wants you rich. And if you're not, you're obviously like that worthless, lazy lout who buried his talent. That's a favored theme for some rich, big-time televangelists. The story further presents a reward-punishment deity an unsavory image of the divine as a tough, greedy, unethical business person. An image some sadly seem to like. Now, I consulted a number of commentaries on this parable, and I must tell you, nobody seems to know how to completely solve the problem of its harshness. What was Matthew thinking? Why... Why in God's name did he compose a story in which the divine character at the end of the parable behaves like such a cruel jerk? If the gospel is good news, where is the good news in this passage? Perhaps the best solution is to simply look past the ugly components of this story. Reject the parts about the hard character of the master the punishing, the wailing, and the grinding of teeth, the sad moral about those who have a lot getting even more while others losing what little they have. All that is inconsistent with what Matthew's Jesus teaches elsewhere, such as in the Beatitudes. So, my advice is, don't get caught up in the nasty details. Don't get caught up in the nasty details. All they do is obscure the generous invitation to invest in the kingdom. 
In its essence, today's parable is about doing what enables you to share in the master's joy. And the master wants that. That's the good news. And the master says it twice. Come, share your master's joy. The master's joy. It's always there, ready to be entered into. And the moral is, you must do the investing if you hope to endure the hard times ahead and come through it all with your joy intact. Matthew's Jesus tells the story because in his absence, that is after his death and before his return in glory, in his absence he knew his followers would go through some horrible persecution and their faith would be severely tested. Hard times were coming. So don't bury what the master gives you. Use it. Invest in it. You don't know when the master, Jesus, will return. So as Paul says in today's second reading, let's not be asleep as others are. Let's be awake and sober. And don't bury your talent. The divine character, the master in today's parable, symbolizes not God, but Jesus. He leaves his servants and goes away. Again, dying and going to heaven with the promise of coming back. But before he goes, he is wildly generous with those servants. He gives them talents. A word that has a different meaning to our modern ears. A talent in Jesus' day was not a useful skill. It was a measure of value. A talent was a vast, vast sum of money. <laughs> representing way more than a servant would ever hope to see in a lifetime. One talent was the equivalent of about 6,000 times a common laborer's daily wage. Yet, the value of the wisdom and love that Jesus left his followers before his departure is worth all that and far more. And if they would only invest in it, pay it forward, the more love would multiply. You know how that works. Love begets more love. Like money, it earns interest. The more they would invest in it, the more they would be able to handle the testing of their faith when the religious and civil authorities come to oppress them. Investing in love is how you enter into Jesus, the Master's joy. Now Stephen did a lovely reading today. Um, I figured it just, this, this reading just had to be read by a straight Married guy. <laughs> but you may be wondering why that, that Proverbs passage about the perfect wife is paired up with today's gospel. Well, some scholars believe that this poem is to be understood as an allegory. The woman, the wife, symbolizes wisdom itself. Sophia in Greek, another name for God. The passage sees divine wisdom as praiseworthy. 
Just as a good, hard-working, generous, kind, loving wife is praiseworthy, the reading says that from her, her husband will derive no little profit. Not a little one, not a little profit, but a huge one. It is that theme of investing again. When you invest in treasuring Sophia, wisdom, God, the giver of your talents, when you invest in that, you reap great rewards and you share in divine joy. When you think about it, that investing is ideally what we do in our educational system. Parents make an investment by paying property taxes or tuition so that their children can go to school and gain knowledge to develop their talents, to embrace wisdom that they can later use in a career in a world that is sometimes cruel and can test their faith. Mom and dad do this not just because they know society benefits from an educated populace and not just because the law requires it, but because they love their children and want them to have jobs that are meaningful and fulfilling. Indeed, their own parents made such an investment for them. They want to pay it forward, invest in their children. They want them to share the joy that they have found in a good education. Come for parents' joy. Perhaps in this context, another word for investing is sacrificing, a word that literally means making a holy offering. The crass transactions in our gospel story today hardly seem holy, but when you invest in divine wisdom, sacrifice is certainly the right word. We began this month with All Saints Day. Some of you were at our home that night to celebrate the saints we have known, the self-sacrificing ones, the investors who, who shared in their master's joy. Here's a picture of one of the saints that we acknowledged that night. This is Phil's mom. Martha, she knew that the master had given her talents that she could invest, and she did, and she co-produced a beautiful family. Although Phil was un unable to join us that evening, his mom's picture was displayed, and we remembered her talents as a faithful wife and loving mother, a really sweet lady. Suzanne uh, passed around a picture of her sister. And I'll show you that. Her sister, Mary Ellen, who was a highly acclaimed artist with a strong sense of social justice. The master gave her amazing talents that she used as an artist, as all artists do, to enlighten, to inspire, and challenge. This is a, a clever self-portrait, self-portrait that she made, and it, and, and it made us all laugh. She must have had a terrific sense of humor. Now, maybe after liturgy, if you want, you can take a good, close look at it, and you'll see why it's so damn funny. 
<laughs> There's a story that goes with it, and uh, I'm sure that Suzanne would be happy to tell you all about it. That's her sister, Mary Ellen. Bob showed a, a picture. I wish I had a bigger one than this, but Bob showed a photo of his crazy friend, Phyllis. Crazy is his word. <laughs> he said she was a kind of highly intuitive and scatterbrained mystic who frequented the beaches of the New Jersey shore and enhanced Bob's appreciation for the sun and the surf. One of her talents was talking about her fellow mystic, St. John of the Cross, <laughs> while splashing around in the waves and making Bob laugh. That's sharing in the master's joy. Bill Valentine's picture was displayed as well. And we celebrated, we remembered how faithful he was to this community. He knew how addiction could have taken him from us so much earlier. But he was grateful for a second chance at spirituality by working the 12-step programs, the, uh, the 12 steps of, of Narcotics Anonymous. too many papers up here. But that was a talent he invested in, and it led him to his master's joy. Lewis, who uh, usually joins us on Zoom, was with us that evening, actually, at our home, even though he lives uh, in the Atlanta area. And he shared a picture of his husband, John, a distinguished-looking man with a shocking white beard and a look like wisdom personified. He gave Lewis many years of sweet companionship and still does from his place of intimate, eternal union with Sophia, with holy wisdom, with God. He was surely an investor in the talent we call love. Although he is... Although all our saints are buried, their talents are not. They continue to earn interest by inspiring us to not bury our talents, but to invest in the values the Master taught us. As the saints for the next generation, may we do the same. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. All right, your thoughts.